0: Amen. Well, we are continuing our our sermon series in 2 Thessalonians, and throughout this time, uh, we've been talking a lot about suffering, and perseverance, and endurance, and sanctification, and growing through that time of trial, because that's what's going on in the city of of Thessalonica and the small Christian church that is there. We've talked a lot about hope, that we have hope in the midst of our trials, and hope has that future focus. It's essential when it comes to how we endure and how we deal with difficulty and hardship in our life. Maybe the one thing that's been missing so far, as we've talked through how to deal with trials and suffering, is something that we deal with in this passage right here which is that God comforts us in the midst of it. God is our comforter. Yes, he's sanctifying us. He's, he's making us holy. He's shaping us for eternity. Yes, it hurts, but he's a comfort in the midst of it. His presence is with us. Look with me at uh, 2 Thessalonians 2:13 to 17. 2 Thessalonians 2:13 to 17. Uh, we're going to just cover a short section of scripture. That includes a benediction, um, and then we'll talk through it, apply it to our own lives, and then we'll be done. But we read this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is the word of the Lord. This is such a necessary part of the Christian life. It's not just that we endure trials. It's not just that we have hope at the end. But God is a comfort to us in the midst of it. So this is where we're going. Be comforted because of who we are. Verses 13 to 15, be comforted because of who we are. Be comforted by where we're going, 16 to 17. And then that very last part of verse 17, be comforted as we are sanctified by God. Uh, So first, be comforted because of who we are. Paul here reminds the Christians who they are. And in doing so, he's reminding us, those who have faith in Christ here today, who we are. He starts off by saying, we give thanks. Actually, he said that a number of times, right? But they are just so thankful. He's just saying, I'm always giving thanks for you. We are always giving thanks for you. The missionary team that did that ministry in the city of Thessalonica, they preached the gospel, were eventually chased out of town, started a church there. Here it would say a year later or whatever it is, and he's writing them letters and seeing that their church is still standing firm in the midst of all the suffering and hardship and persecution. One of the hardest places probably in the ancient world here to be a Christian was Thessalonica. One of the greatest opposition Paul faced in his whole missionary journeys was in this city. And he just says, we're just always thanking God for you. <laughs> but then he says, he calls them here, brothers beloved by the Lord. Describes them as those who are loved by God. It's, it's one thing, so if you're the one who does the loving... You are the lover. <laughs> if you are the one who receives the love, you are the beloved. And he's calling them, yes, those who love God, certainly, but those who are loved by God. And so often a term that's used for a bride. As we see in Song of Songs, for example, the beloved. He's reminding the Christians that you are God's girl. You're his bride. Uh, that's a sort of consistent teaching throughout Scripture that his people are like his bride-to-be. And he loves you. You may not feel that way. You're going through a lot of suffering and trials and hardship. But trust me, that's who you are in Christ. You are loved by God. He continues, though, more than that. He says, and because God chose you. They are chosen by God. They are selected by God. Towards what? To being the first fruits of those who are saved. Uh, Think about that, that in the whole world, there's not many Christians at this time. This is the first century still. Um, They're the very, very first Christians in the city of Thessalonica. They're among the very first Christians in the entire world. And throughout church history, how many Christians have there been? A billion? Two billion? Three billion? Who knows? Um, They're among the very first. They are special, unique. They are chosen by God. He continues not only that, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But they are then called by God. Verse 14, to this he called you through the gospel. So, what's the gospel? It's the good news that Christ has come. The Christ, as we celebrate during the whole Lent season, as we particularly focus on, Jesus. The Son of God came in the flesh, lived a sinless and perfect life, died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners in our place, as a substitution for us, paying the penalty for sin, rose in triumph over death in the resurrection, and all those who are united to him will one day rise with him. That's the gospel, and God called them through this gospel. The day came when they heard this message actually preached to them, and they believed. And their sanctification, the fact that they are growing in holiness in the midst of trials, is actually evidence of the fact that they're called. So then stand firm, he says. To stand firm, to persevere. He says, hold to the traditions that were given to you whether through a preached message, so through a sermon, or through a written, through these letters, which is what we have today in the scriptures. We actually have recordings of some of their sermons in the book of Acts, and then we have the written word here. Hold to the Bible is basically what he's getting at. Why is he doing this? Why is he reminding them of the blessings of the Christian life? He doesn't use the word comfort in this first paragraph, he uses it in the second, but that's a way of comforting them, to give them hope, and strength, as they face hard times, that the blessings of the Christian life stack up. Just to remind you again, you're loved. You're loved by God. Before the foundation of the world, God saw down the lens of history, and he saw you, and he said, "You're mine." His favor, His feeling. Love is more than just a choice, although it is a choice, it is also an emotion. God looks upon you with love. And he chose you. It wasn't just chance or happenstance. He chose you weren't just in the right place at the right time, and he chose you. He chose you not to, to make you proud, not to puff you up, <laughs> but to be grateful as an encouragement. You are chosen. I was thinking you could give us numerous different examples of this or illustrations, but I was thinking of a, a wedding ring or an engagement ring. Right? So when you go and you pick out uh, a ring that you're going to, like for, for, for a young man who's going to ask someone to marry, his, ask a woman to marry him, what does he got to do? He's got to go and pick out the ring when he looks at all the different types and what kind of ring should I choose and then he finally chooses one and says this is the one this is the one that's going to be on my beloved's finger for the rest of our lives Lord willing and it's going to mark out the fact that this person is mine and he chooses that ring and he gives it to her and that marks out that the beloved is his God chose you Jesus came this is the gospel he lived a sinless life for you he died on the cross for you he took our sin upon himself and he rose from the grave to conquer death for you ultimately for God's glory But we're part of the picture of how God brings glory to himself through his love for his people and then he called you See, that's, all that stuff just happened, happened before you were even born. He looked down the lens of history, he loved you. He looked down, he saw you, he chose you. Jesus already came and he died for you. But then that time actually had to come in your life where God called you to himself. You know, so you're living your life until you're whatever age, 15 years old for me. That was about the age I heard the gospel. Uh, maybe it was 30, maybe it was 50, maybe it was 75 years old for you. And at that moment, God said, this little rebellious (laughs) child is going to hear this message to save them. And you heard the gospel preached to you. Or uh, spoken to you, shared with you. Maybe you heard it on the radio or a TV program. Maybe it was Billy Graham. Maybe you heard it at a crusade for some of you more old timers. Maybe you were listening to a podcast. Maybe a friend shared it with you. Maybe you came to a church and you heard it. Maybe your parents sat you down and explained it to you one more time. Or maybe you were alone reading the Bible and you heard this message. And God called you personally to himself. And he's sanctifying you. He doesn't just leave us there. His perfect plan is worked out for each of us. His hard, often painful, often suffering path towards sanctification. Which is preparing us for eternity. Remember who you are. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king of the living God take comfort you're his that's the bottom line you are his you are close to him now let's be honest of course it oftentimes doesn't feel like that right doesn't doesn't feel like I'm loved Pastor Rick (laughs) doesn't feel like I'm chosen or or called or I'm special Um, we face as Christians we face the same trials everyone else faces in life we get sick uh, towards the beginning of this pandemic, I remember hearing so, a lot of Christians maybe like on Facebook and so forth, saying, "God will protect us from every sickness." Well I notice now a year into the pandemic i don 't see so much of that anymore because <laughs> that 's a misunderstanding of how God deals with his people. Christians get sick, Christians deal with poverty, Christians deal with grief Christians die and on top of that, if you take the average Christian around the world and particularly in Countries throughout the world you know who are suffering, Christians actually suffer far more than a non Christian suffering persecution hardship is is part of life for many Nip Ripkin, who was a missionary in uh, the Middle East, he spent some time though in Russia to learn about suffering and he was hearing the stories of all of these Christians who were suffering there in russia and he said why don't you guys write this down in a book these stories of all that you have gone through all the hardship you have gone through one of the old russian that's under the ussr old russian christians took him and said let me speak to you and he takes him to the window and he shows him the sun and he says if you ever sat taking your kids to a window and said look at the sunrise and and nick ripkin says no I, i've never done that to be honest and he says you know why because it rises every day and he says, I don't get it. What is your point? And he says, for us, persecution is like the sun rising. It happens every day. There's nothing unique nothing special for it. Those who follow Christ suffer. <laughs> so you say, well, if, if, if we're so special in the eyes of God, why are we suffering? And he reminds them, friends, that God is sanctifying you for eternity. You are loved, you are chosen, you are called, and that all that God does... He does ultimately for our good and for his glory. It'll all be revealed in time. We get a glimpse of it now. Talk to someone who's been a Christian for a while and they'll tell you those times of hardship and trial, those are the times I grew the most. And I've I've talked to a number of believers who have said, I actually look back upon those times, the hardest times of my life, and I actually kind of miss it because I was walking so close with the Lord. It's like I had a foot in heaven already. We get a taste of it. But friends, to be honest, it'll be fully more, more fully revealed in time. Take comfort. You're his. You're loved. You're chosen. You're called. He died for you. He's sanctifying you. Then he turns to this benediction in verse 16. Uh, and he says, really, our comfort is even better than that. That's only half the story. Actually, it's less than half. There's there's something far better than just that. He gives them this benediction. Again, that's sort of a prayer over them. Um, May the Lord Jesus. So he's asking God to do something there uh, in the city of Thessalonica among the Christians. And he addresses specifically, notice, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Sometimes we'll ask, is it okay to pray to Jesus? Of course it is. He's God. You can talk to Jesus. You can talk to the Father. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think there's an example in Scripture of praying to the Holy Spirit. Um, But he's God and there's nothing wrong with speaking to the Holy Spirit. Uh, So he's praying, Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, may you do this. And you might ask, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Where is he in this? He's the comforter. He's already present with his people. He's the one who does the actual comforting. But he gives them this benediction, and he says and calls them again, a God who loved us. Second time in this short passage that he reminds them again that they are loved. They're going through hard times, they're going through trials, but they're loved by God. And he says he gave us eternal comfort. A comfort that lasts not just for this life, but forever. And a good hope. Again, hope is a future focus. It's what is to come, and what we have to come is good. It's really, really good. To this God, he says, may he comfort your hearts. Friends, as good as it is to have him now, to be loved and chosen and called and sanctified now, it gets even better. That's what he's saying. It's even better than that. As he said already earlier, he said you are called by the gospel to what? To obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? Paradise. That's what Jesus said on the cross. That's where he's headed. To be with him in a sinless and a, a redeemed future world in which there's a new heavens and a new earth that's where we're headed in eternal comfort a comfort that lasts for ever god's presence is with us in this world but it's going to remain his presence remains with us and is not punctuated by times of discomfort of not sensing his presence everything we do in this life is punctuated by time right so you feel comfortable for for a little while and then something happens that changes that, right? You, you, have, a, you have a child and you just love that little kid and then the kid starts to grow up and breaks your heart for a season of life and you lose that comfort. And Then the, the, the child comes back and then your your heart is, is filled again and then the kid heads out to college and your heart is broken again. Right? Everything is punctuated by time. You, you get married and you have that honeymoon season in life and then... You know, you struggle with some marriage issues, financial issues, or whatever it may be, and you, you struggle. And then you've got to reconcile. Then you go through another time of great comfort. Same thing happens in our relationship with God, right? We, we sense his presence. We feel comforted by the fact that he's with us. And then we go through a season that maybe he feels distant, and our hearts are broken, and we struggle. Everything in this world is punctuated by time, but he speaks here about an eternal Comfort, a comfort that comes and doesn't go away for all eternity. And a good hope, such a strong emphasis we've seen in these two letters to Thessalonica. A hope that can carry us through anything because it's a good and solid hope, by the way. It's not a hope that is sort of flimsy. It might happen, it might not. It's a waiting for what we know to be coming. On top of being loved and chosen and called, we have eternal life. That is yet to come. What is he doing here? Hopefully he's doing what he's doing here is same thing we need to hear today. He's giving comfort to hurting Christians. You know, think about just illustrations of comfort. I don't know if you guys did a lot of shoveling. <laughs> this last year, I mean this last week. when um, you get out there in the cold and you're shoveling the cold snow and maybe your fingertips are getting numb and uh, your bodies just feel, your feet are cold. And then you come in and you, you stand in front of a nice hot fireplace with a mug of hot cocoa or coffee or tea. And it just feels so comfortable, right? <laughs> Comfort. Or, you know, during this weird social distancing time, some of you guys haven't had a good, big hug in a long time. It's nothing about a big, bear hug from someone that loves you and the someone that you love. Or maybe a compliment. You're going through a difficult, hard time and somebody just says something that encourages you. It's comfort. We need that, friends, during this time, a sense of the very presence of God, that comfort of knowing He is with us. And that comes, really, friends, by the presence of his spirit. In the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, he writes this, It is one thing as a child to be told your father loves you. You believe him. You take him at his word. But it is another thing, unutterably more real, to be swept up in his embrace, to feel the warmth, to hear his beating heart within his chest, to instantly know the protective grip of his arms. It's one thing to hear he loves you. It's another thing to feel his love. This is the glorious work of the Spirit. where We sense that God is with us no matter what. Friends, we certainly need this when it comes to times of grief. We, we lose those who we love, that reminder of an eternal comfort and a good hope that we'll be together again maybe there'll be some more tears before that day comes but the day will come when we're gathered together again the the Christian hope is beautiful and true (laughs) it's it's beautiful because it's true Uh, it wouldn't be that beautiful if it wasn't true think about it What, what does secularism have to offer What does mere science have to offer? I'm I'm not anti-science. I'm actually very pro-science, love science. But what does science have to offer? It just studies this world and sees what it is. What does medicine have to offer? I think the, the role of a doctor and nurses, and much love and respect to doctors and nurses, but is to keep you healthy and keep you alive, which means every doctor and every nurse fails in time. Every one of you, every, every patient you have will eventually not stay healthy and not stay alive. So all you can do is prolong the failure to a certain point. What, what hope does the worldly philosophies of self-help give us? The Christian faith has given us something far deeper and better than that. A true and a solid hope in what's to come. And our hearts long for it. By the way, the fact that our hearts long for it is, is actually some evidence that it's real. Uh, let me explain what I mean. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. The fact that you thirst means there's probably something called water <laughs> that exists, right? Something called liquid. The fact that your stomach rumbles and is hungry means that there is likely something called food <laughs> in the world. And he uses also the example of the fact that you have sexual desire means there must be some fulfillment of it. Why is it that in the heart of every human being there is a longing for something more than this world? Something beyond the physical, something that is eternal. And in the life and ministry of Christ we meet that hope, the comfort of the presence of God forever. Brings us to our last and third section here. Be comforted as we're sanctified. Be comforted as we're sanctified by God. He ends again by praying for sanctification, which has been a major theme throughout this letter. And sanctification means you're growing in holiness. You're growing in being like Christ. He says specifically that God would establish them, to to make them firm in their faith. Solid have a a solid foundation in place in their faith in Christ, immovable by every wind of teaching or every persecution or every difficult trial or even death itself, immovable in your faith that you'd be strong as you follow him. And that you would be active then in, in every good work. That as you're going through all these hard times, whatever you're going through, you're actively serving the Lord. You're using the time that God has given us, however long that is, facing trials or whatever it's going you're going through and you're involved in every good work and as he says and word Uh, it's not one or the other it's not that i just you know serve the lord with my actions but i don't talk about the lord no (laughs) if you're doing that you're in disobedience to the lord we're to live and show the love of christ we're to speak about the love of christ to tell people about what jesus has done for sinners your actions can't do that, by the way. They can show people the love of Christ, but your words have to speak about a God who sent a Savior into this world to redeem us. As he said previously, it's through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth that we grow. God's Spirit is sanctifying us, and we trust in His truth, and we continue to live it out. But here's his point, friends. We are comforted as we are sanctified god 's with us as we are going through the growing pains of maturing it 's kind of like if you are going into surgery right and i 've talked to some, a number of folks who have gone into surgery as of recently, even, um, and you might just have that one friendly nurse. Everyone else is being very technical, and i 'm glad they are being very professional, doing what they need to do, but maybe there's that one nurse that comes over and grabs your hand and says, "How are you doing? you okay? everything okay uh, it 's going to be fine." Um, you know, talks to you about your family and, you know, maybe you start that little conversation and just sort of puts you at rest (laughs) as you head into surgery. Or maybe you have that one teacher, for you guys who are in school or can remember your days in school, uh, you know, it was maybe a rough time for you, there was classes that you struggled with, chemistry for me, by the way, um, tough class, but you have that one teacher who actually seems to care about you as a student, and goes out of their way to spend additional time to encourage you and care for you. Or that one coach. <laughs> you know, maybe you're not, you're not sure if you're any good at this sport. But that one coach that believes in you and he stays after for batting practice. And gives you some additional tips and helps you get better. You're comforted as you're going through a process of growth. God is with us as we grow. Even better than those examples. He is the loving Father who holds us in His hands and says to us, I know it hurts. I know your broken heart hurts. I know your chronic pain is difficult. I know you're struggling at work. I know those failed relationships leave an open wound. But trust me, It's all for good. You can't see it now, but you will in the end. In the midst of it, in the midst of the pain, keep serving, keep speaking. I'll help you through it. Friends, let's stay working, but let's stay speaking about the Lord. Stay active at your job. (laughs) So do the best you can in the place that God has put you. Keep raising those godly kids for you parents keep serving your local church keep giving generously to the work of the kingdom keep praying keep doing those visits or those phone calls keep telling people about jesus keep having those conversations keep sharing the good news keep planting those seeds keep thinking about missions keep encouraging those who are on the field keep praying for those who are serving in hard places around the world as we grow in sanctification, God comforts us. Throughout this letter, Paul is really like a spiritual father to these Thessalonian Christians. He and his team were the ones who actually brought them to faith, and he talks about them as his children, whom he longs and he loves. He longs for and he loves. He, he wants to see them again. He's trying to raise them, in a sense, in their faith. And as a as a father, sometimes you need a good. You need to give your, your, your son or daughter a good, sturdy rebuke. Right? Sometimes you need to give them a good correction. <laughs> a slap on the wrist when they're doing something bad. But a good dad knows that there's also a time when he needs to put his hand on his shoulder and say, it's going to be okay. That's what Paul is doing. Forget that. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing through this letter. It's what he's doing here today, I think. He's saying to you, I've got this. Keep going. It's going to be okay. The heart of God is compassion. Last week we looked at the judgment of God upon sin. And in the end, there is a day of wrath in which all justice must be done. But there's a difference here. There's a difference between thinking about the justice of God... And thinking about the mercy of God. One exists, the first. Justice exists primarily because sin exists. In a world without sin, there would be no need for vindictive justice. It's what the Puritans used to call the strange work of God. Strange and foreign because it doesn't, it doesn't really bring great joy to God's heart to bring wrath. It's simply necessary because he's a God of justice. But mercy and compassion. Mercy and compassion flow directly from the heart of God. I want to end with a quote from Thomas Goodwin. It's a long one, so I'm going to have Josh put it up on the screen here. When he talks about this very thing, that the heart of God is compassion. Goodwin, who lived in the 1600s, said this, My brethren, though God is just... Yet his mercy may in some respect be said to be more natural to him than all acts of justice itself that God does show. I mean vindictive justice. In these acts of justice there is a satisfaction to an attribute, his holiness, his justice, and that he meets and is even with sinners. Yet there is a kind of violence done to himself in it, The scripture so expresses it. There is something in it that is contrary to him. I desire not the death of a sinner. That is, I delight not simply in it for pleasure's sake. When he exercises acts of justice, it is for a higher end. It is not simply for the thing itself. There is always something in his heart against it. When he comes to show mercy to manifest that it is his nature and disposition it is said that he does it with his whole heart there is nothing at all in him that is against it the act itself pleases him for itself there is no reluctance in him he is a god of mercy and compassion. Would you pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word and the reminder of the God of comfort who is with us. So many people, Lord, in our congregation are grieving. They've lost someone dear to them that they love. So many in our congregation are struggling with some form of sickness physically, their body is ailing. They're still recovering from COVID, or they still have active COVID, or they're dealing with some surgery and the pain that has come from that. So many in our church are struggling with being alone, with being frustrated by this pandemic, feeling distant from other people. Lord, use this in that hard and difficult road of sanctification. But Lord, in the midst of it, be a comfort to us. Lord, it is your very heart to show mercy and compassion on us, so be present and remind us again of your gospel. You have loved us, you have chosen us, you have called us, you are sanctifying us, and you are heading us to this good hope of eternal life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.